and thank you for joining us again for another episode of Integrated Informatics with Paragon Consulting Partners. A common theme across a lot of the discussions that we've had so far is digital transformation. So that is healthcare organizations adopting new digital technologies in hopes of achieving transformational change in terms of clinical services, quality of clinical services, efficiency of operations, and financial cost reduction or revenue growth. So today we have the whole PCP imaging team here with us uh, to join us in this broader topic and share some stories and experiences from the trenches of various digital transformation projects. So I'm Lori LaFleur. Joining me today is Jeff Williams. And uh, as I mentioned, the rest of our team, we have Barbara Smith, Val Capitula, and Eric Rice uh, in this roundtable discussion. So I'll kick it off and just ask the group, does anybody have a project that you've seen to date or that you've participated in that you would say is particularly innovative in terms of digital transformation? And if so, you know, can you tell us a little bit about it? So can I actually start on the opposite end of the spectrum? Because I think this is actually a really good uh, question. And the reason I think it's such a good question is because we throw the word or the term digital transformation around a lot. It's across all industries, right? It's not a unique thing to healthcare. But I think for me, level setting digital, digital transformation, it partly includes what isn't digital transformation. And the thing that strikes me is something that isn't digital transformation that maybe was a lost opportunity. And maybe we can talk a little bit about this is when I got into healthcare, my first work in technology in healthcare was film to filmless projects. So I worked with a large IDN in the Western U.S., and they were converting from film-based analog technology and workflows to digital imaging or PACS. PACS version one, basically, or version two, I guess, by that point, but still very rudimentary in its technology. And back in those days, we didn't throw that term around much, digital transformation, but certainly there was a lot of talk about the transformation of radiology with PACS. And I think if you were to really be honest, the packs that we deployed and the, the initial film the filmless projects were not true digital transformation because what, what happened is they built pack systems to essentially mimic analog film reading. So that, that is an example of what I don't think is true digital transformation, or maybe it is, and I'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say, but you know, defining digital transformation and what is considered you know, a qualifier for that, I, I'd, be, I'd love to get your guys' input on that. You know, it, it is a good question you asked, Jeff, and I hadn't really thought about that much. Actually, you know, I think kind of the default reaction would be, you know, if you're going from analog film to a digital technology pack stack, that is a level of digital transformation. And it certainly is from a technology perspective. I mean, you're you're not using paper slash film, but, you know, you're reading on a computer monitor and, you know, but but I do think it's a good point made that digital transformation is not just a change in technology. It is broader than that. It is how an organization operates and leverages the technology to really drive the clinical care or to drive the business or to drive the decision or uh, whatever it may be. But And I think this is one of the areas that we see a lot of gaps in some of the projects I know that I've been involved with. And they'll go out um, to decide that they want to have a digital transformation project of some scope and uh, profile. But you know, stakeholder engagement and making sure that the right people have come to the table early on and recognizing the importance of 
the different clinical workflows, how they interact, you know, even from a workflow perspective and not even from a technical perspective right away, I think is something that's often missing. And um, the appetite for changing processes rather than finding technologies that you can cram into your existing processes, I think is another big gap and, and another sort of gap in education in the digital transformation world. And that is that this is a huge opportunity to go out and look at the way that you're doing things and think of a way that you can do things differently. And that is going to involve um, people. It's going to involve technologies. It's going to involve information. Now, I say this sort of tongue-in-cheek a lot, but um, you know, the six most expensive words in the English language are we have always done it that way. So I think in terms of digital transformation, we really need to challenge the status quo and our norms and try and encourage um, folks to sort of think outside of the box at different ways of, of tackling these transformation projects. And that does, you know, to Jeff's point, that starts with people. Isn't that the biggest challenge with all of this, which all goes back to governance, right? So, Lori, you and I did a project about two years ago where there had been a lot of implementation of technologies, but I don't consider that organization had ever truly gone through a digital transformation because every single digital process was hinging off of one person who refused to let go of whiteboards and papers and fax machines. And so if you can have one workflow that decides not to adopt the digital world, it basically dominoes through the entire organization and they, and they really haven't been transformed. They've plugged in a bunch of programs, but they're still depending on paper and they're still depending on fax machines and probably a hindrance to patient care rather than an enhancement to patient care. A huge part of this is building that culture of innovation and getting everybody onto the same footing about what digital transformation is going to mean, what the value is going to be for them as an outcome, and what the expectations are going to be of everyone involved in that process. And, and I've seen varying degrees of, um, of the culture of innovation. You know, one of the organizations that, that we worked with, they thought they had a culture of innovation. They went through meticulous steps to bring different stakeholders um, to the table, and they wanted to undertake an innovative procurement project that um, went to market to seek out sort of a novel solution to a set of problems that they had. Now, what was interesting about that was there are a lot of tick boxes that they checked off there, right? They, they were interested in doing something different. Um, they brought a bunch of you know, multidisciplinary stakeholders to the table. Um, they engaged suppliers or vendors very early in the process. Um, to try and have some conversations, except that um, once <laughs> once we actually went to the kickoff meeting, um, everything's the dominoes all fell on the floor because they'd already selected the technology vendors and uh, leadership stakeholders left the table and were no longer part of the conversation. And so that project didn't really um, yield the fruit that it, it sort of promised to it fairly, very early on. With that in mind, I know that you're working with a, a customer right now um, that I'm not engaged in directly, and, and it, this is a very different perspective, and, and you're seeing a lot of emphasis on culture. Can you talk a little bit about that and what's sort of different about this particular um, project and why that is going to make such a big impact in their transformation project? Unless it's coming from the very top levels of the organization, it's very difficult to gather, gather any momentum and certainly almost impossible to sustain over a long period of time. So you have to have sponsorship from the C level, from you know the the key the key decision makers in the organization, both from the clinical, operational, and technical sides, to say we are going to adopt 
a culture of innovation, which means we're going to give people the freedom to fail forward. If you're going to play it safe and you're always going to uh, you know, reduce your risk to almost zero of you know, any cost impacts or, or time or resource allocation impacts, it's hard to get to that point, I think, to have a culture of innovation because people have to have the freedom to think outside the box, like someone said already. And that means that you, you have to be okay with stepping out on a limb and knowing you're not going to get in trouble. You know, you're going to take a chance on something in a, with a, you know, calculated risk that if, if it doesn't achieve all the outcomes, it's not going to affect your employee profile. And so going back to what you just asked, Lori, one of the things I've picked up from this organization is that it comes right from the executive leadership, that we want to do things differently. You know, we are willing to go outside the box and we're willing to think outside the box to get from where we are at our current state to where we want to be in the future because of where we want to be positioned because of, you know, our growth strategies. Um, we want to think completely different. And as a result, the people in the organization have the freedom to speak up all the way across the project teams. And I think that that's a huge, that's a huge factor in that. Yeah. And I think most importantly, they've been given the freedom and, and you said to fail forward, but my key takeaway from that is that nobody's job is on the line if something doesn't work out. There's definite support for any attempt rather than just lack of activity. Giving people the, the room to be wrong or the room to test different scenarios to look for improvements but also not be penalized if they don't work out is a huge, huge culture shift for most organizations. Yeah, and, and I have you know kind of an example of a failed uh, attempt at culture, innovation, or change, or governance. Had a privilege of working with a customer, and there's a big push to establish strong governance and you know jump on that transformation. You know, after several years now, it's it's just a consistent pattern of failure with leadership buy-in. And you know, for example, you know, there's a standing monthly call. And out of the five calls, you know, maybe two will be successful, three of them will be canceled, you know, with some other priorities. So just that just screams downstream to mid-management level and folks down, you know, down at the uh, trenches that, hey, this is not as important for us at the top, so let's go ahead and skip this meeting. So that just, um, again, I think that impacts the culture and that general buy-in. The other piece I noticed, too, is with governance, you may have two to three steering committees within a government and two of the committees are not talking to each other at all. So for, for example, you have a cardiology steering committee and then the diagnostic imaging and they're going through a selection process with a product that could actually be consolidated into a single solution and the two steering committees are not talking to each other. So it's just, it just defeats the purpose of a governance committee when you have you know, segregation at that level. I think too, and, and many of us working on this project, but as, as scary as this statement sounds, we have a client that talks about being loose, fast, and half-assed. <laughs> and it is such a great, innovative group. And, and again, as, as scary as that may sound, actually the group is very structured in how they execute on intakes from the clinical organizations that are looking for them to help make change in their, in their organizations. And the whole culture is built around taking these ideas from clinical stakeholders and trying to deliver a better solution. And I think, Jeff, to your point around accepting failure, but let's keep moving forward. You know, I think some of those clients like that have built a culture 
across the clinical teams, operational teams, the, the technology teams where we're going to work together. We may not get this perfect the first time, but we're going to keep progressing and moving forward on on delivering that at the end of the day, the, the best clinical care, the best clinical workflow we can. And and we may fail along the way a couple of times, but we're going to keep pushing and, and make it happen. And, you know, cultures like that, they are harder to find, uh, but but those cultures are innovating. So when you have a culture like that in place, right, and, and you have leadership at the top that is ready to sort of embrace um, new ideas, accept failure and move on um, and sort of fail forward as, as we're saying here, how does that fold into then building that strategy and roadmap? Because this, this feels to me a lot more like an agile process where it would be uh, much more iterative than the traditional types of technology projects that we see, right? Where we define a strategy, we define a roadmap, and then we move sequentially through the different phases of the project. But at the end, um, you know, we have or some sort of uh, result. In this case, where innovation is really, um, and the culture of innovation is top of mind, I foresee us having to be much more iterative in those processes or even considering that strategy and roadmap as being integrated into the activities that go into a digital transformation. So we have a strategy and we have clear objectives, but that roadmap could shift or change as, um, as vendors come to the table with different innovative options per se, or different stakeholders come to the table with um, new ideas. But I imagine that's also a balancing act. So I'm curious about your perspectives here at the table. Um, where is the appropriate balance between having that culture of innovation, embracing failure in all of that, and being very iterative in our strategy development and road mapping, and making progress, right? Being able to move the needle forwards towards hitting our milestones and making sure that we're not getting into a situation where we're spending a lot of time and effort and, and not getting the results that we were looking for. Lori, I think that's a great point. You know, there's a concept of smart goals, and not necessarily just in healthcare, in the, you know, wide range of industries. If you follow that concept of SMART goal, which is, again, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-based, right? Just take that concept and apply it to your strategy or roadmap. I think that will put you immediately on a better uh, path as opposed to kind of, you know, just shooting in the dark or maybe looking at a vague approach to your strategy. I think that's a really simple concept, and I've seen organizations actually adopt that, and it's been very successful. I think the other pieces being accountable to yourself and, and the organization and, and the committees, setting up measurable success factors and periodically checking on those KPIs or those success factors and ensuring that you're staying on track. I think these are very important, yet basic organizational you know, processes you can adopt. You're spot on there, Val. And you have to have a framework, right? I mean, if you're, if you're an organization that is allocating resources, you know, you, you have to come up with some sort of short, medium, long-term roadmap or framework for how you're going to move forward to achieve whatever the organizational goals are. But to your point, Lori, there also needs to be agility. And, and you know, um, I think healthcare has learned a really, really important lesson over the last 18 months. You know, historically, healthcare moves at a glacial pace in terms of change. And, and that's kind of how we you know, identify ourselves. I mean, you talk to almost anyone in healthcare, you, you talk about rapid innovation, people will roll their eyes and say, yeah, we'll see when that happens. But I think that healthcare learned a really important lesson over the last 18 months, which is that healthcare can adopt when it needs to, when it sees something that's important that needs to be achieved, it can. I mean, some of our clients did some of the most innovative things in response to the COVID pandemic in terms of standing up clinics, 
standing up testing centers, um, mobilizing their resources and their employees and, and their physicians to you know, remote settings. And I think you also saw that patients adapted to that change pretty rapidly. I say all that to, just to say that I think that it's it's a both and. I think that you know you have to start with goals. You have to start with structure. You have to have measurable, achievable goals, um, and they have to be time based. You know all the smart things that, that Val is referring to. But at the same time, the industry is changing. You know AI is encroaching on on the space at a rapid pace. You know mergers and acquisitions. All these things you know have a significant influence on our roadmaps, and so. You know, I think that that there's an opportunity to build a framework, have a roadmap, but it's got to be built into your ongoing performance evaluation. And you have to be able and willing to bring an agile approach to how you address new issues, you know, new risks, new opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. Jeff, to your to your comments around COVID, you know, it makes me think about, you know, impacts. Um, and, and how that can actually trigger an organization to become innovative or, you know, to go to, to trigger digital transformation in some form. And, uh, you know, COVID, as you've said, we've certainly seen our clients transform and how they operate and, and the solutions they're rolling out. But we, we've also had some clients too from cyber attack, which has triggered equivalent change too and how they, how they operate. And, you know, I think a lot of organizations have governance you know, sometimes sometimes the governance needs to transform too for being able to support the innovation and the digital transformation that needs to take place. And, you know, to to the point I think that's been made by Lori and Val and Jeff and all of us, you know, you know, to be agile, if your governance is so structured that you can't be agile, it doesn't support an agile organization, you know, that could be that could hinder the ability to make some of these changes when 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 they're important to be made. I think one of the biggest hurdles that we've had to get clients through would be the case of analysis paralysis, where there is yeah. so much thought put into every decision and there, there is so much analysis, for lack of a better word, listing of pros and cons and listening to so many stakeholders. And, and just there are times where we see people just get bogged down because they don't have a well-defined process to quantitatively evaluate change that they want to make. And without the process for how you make a decision, it makes decision-making becomes impossible. Those are the best meetings to be in. Yeah. <laughs> I have a friend in the, in the financial sector and, you know, we kind of started talking about some of the digital transformation they've gone through in, in several years. And it's incredible how much similarity uh, that they have gone through under regulations and some of the mandates from the government perspective and financial sector. And we always use HIPAA and our privacy and healthcare as an excuse to a certain extent. And it was interesting to, to listen to him because he did bring up a lot of the uh, financial regulations and some of the challenges there and barriers to, to move quickly and be agile. But he did mention one thing which was interesting to me is that he said, look, we've tried, we failed several times, but we had a lot of leadership buy-in that, that transformed the entire organization to the very bottom, from top to bottom. And I, I, that resonated with me 
you know, Barbara, to your point in terms of adjusting process and making change management process in place for these kind of situations when you fail, when you may be uh, waiting on a decision for an extended long time. If the leadership has that visualized ahead of time, establish these little pivot points, you will move quickly at the end of the day because there is incentive right, from the leadership and down. And uh, I thought that was a great uh, comparison from a financial sector. And I think that, you know, over the course of our consulting careers, we have had the experience of working across the entire spectrum. So we have worked projects with some of the most inefficient, bureaucratically weighed down governance structures to places that have zero governance whatsoever. And obviously the sweet spot is somewhere right in the middle. I think at a point, Barbara, I mean, it really is a continuum of failed and successful, even within healthcare IT. And there's a lot to learn from the organizations that failed and the ones that are doing better. So that's a really good point, Val, because I think where, where you find the differentiator, there are organizations that fail constantly, but they never learn from their failures. And so they are right. doomed to keep committing the same failures over and over and over again. And then you have the, the agile organizations where, yes, we're open to failing, but we are going to learn our lessons from that failure and apply them to, make, to help ensure success on the next attempt. Absolutely. And sustainability, right? If you have an organization that heavily relies on one individual and they happen to leave or they hit a lottery, your entire program falls apart. So having that sustainability in place for various you know, scenarios, whether it's you know, leadership leaves or there's a you know, turnover at a mid-level, um, all of that can impact your transformation roadmap. And if you don't have that visualized ahead of time, you could be falling short. So that's all really interesting. To sum up this conversation then, what are some of the key success criteria that we would put forward based on our experience to say healthcare organizations should consider to ensure that they achieve the best results for their digital transformation projects? I have one. It's kind of a truism, but it oftentimes gets overlooked. And that is beginning with the end in mind. Oftentimes, you know, we talk about that, but then the tyranny of the urgent and what's going on with getting things kicked off or getting things moving kind of replaces that. And we don't take enough time to really define what it looks like at the end zone or at the finish line. Um, because really that is where the digital transformation opportunity exists is starting with where you want to be, not where you are. Now, once you have defined that, then you can map back to where you are. And then that's where you can you know, define your roadmap and, and your strategy. But we don't spend enough time and carve enough time into our design and planning sessions or strategy sessions, uh, oftentimes, to let that kind of open and breathe and, you know, not just be the end goal is to go live with this product. Well, that's not really shouldn't be your end goal. Your end goal should be what is changing and what is improving? What key performance indicators are you going to be able to meet that you can't now? And so for me, you know, I think where I see organizations do this well is they spend a good amount of time or the necessary amount of time in defining the end goal before, before you start kicking the project off or, or the initiative or this, you know, the software implementation or whatever it might be. And I'll follow that along and say that once you've put clear objectives in place, 
it's really important to have uh, a way to measure, sort of benchmark where you are, right? Where are you today and where do you want to be and how are you gonna measure your progress along the way? Because in, in line with that culture of innovation and, and making sure that everybody stays motivated and that there's continued buy-in, one of the things that's really important is seeing progress, demonstrating progress and celebrating successes as we achieve milestones along the way. Um, and then that doesn't mean milestones in terms of we had a hard and fast deadline. I mean, certainly deadlines are important, but also milestones in terms of, you know what, we've accomplished this, this goal that was related to, uh, you know, solving a particular use case or exploring a, a certain area and we've learned something from it. So celebrating those milestones and understanding what we're going to measure, how we're going to measure it and making sure that everybody has a good baseline understanding of, of where we are and where we're going. Uh, really, really helps um, to make sure that there's continued buy-in throughout the process. So I'm going to piggyback off of that, and I'm going to give a little anecdote as well. When Jeff talks about beginning with the end in mind, it brings me to project management in that a project, one of the first definitions that you learn in project management 101 is that if it doesn't have an end date, it's not a project. And if you go back to the first place, one of the first places that I talked about where their entire digital transformation what had run afoul because there was one department that still relied on paper and faxes. If you don't listen to all of your stakeholders and you don't get all of their priorities and you don't identify those as, as the endpoint for success, then you will never finish the project and you will never have an endpoint and you will not be successful. A really good example of this is, you know, when, when we looked at how many people scrambled to become truly paperless, even though we supposedly became paperless 20 years ago. During the COVID crisis, everybody scrambled to really, really, really finally get rid of all of those pieces of paper because they were considered vectors for disease. Um, and, and I liken it to when you do a home remodel project and you get 95% of the work done, but six years later, there's one section of baseboard that hasn't been painted or the light switch covers haven't been switched out. There's always those little details at the end that if you haven't defined them at the beginning as being just as important as everything else, they don't get done and your project never ends and you end up being unsuccessful. Yeah, I think I think relevance. Uh, I think as an organization, you know, and I mentioned earlier the the concept of using smart for setting goals. You know, there's a key word in there being relevant. I think relevance goes in multiple directions. Number one, understand your organization. Be relevant to your organizational needs, whether they're technical, business, clinical, your strategy. Just as an organization, regardless of your digital transformation goals. And then, you know, march down the path of making sure that you're not looking at other organizations out there that might have done it or done it better or worse. Focus on yourself. Be relevant to yourself as an organization. Secondly, be relevant to the market. We, have, we talked about being agile and adjusting to the market. Make sure your, your innovation officers are constantly in tune with the market and relevance of the market. And partnering with your, with your vendor of choice. It, make sure they're relevant. To the organization and the functionality of the market. Well, thanks everyone. Those are definitely um, important criteria to consider and, and for our listeners, uh, food for thought when you're undertaking your next digital transformation project. Thanks again for listening and be sure to subscribe and join us for more engaging discussions with industry experts on all things healthcare digital transformation.